Welcome to Sound Mind, a podcast about physician wellness and medical culture. I'm your host, Dr. Caroline Gérin-Lajoie. For many physicians, residency is one of the most challenging times in their career. The demands are extremely high and the learning curve can be steep. In a 2018 national survey on physician health, Conducted by my colleagues here at the Canadian Medical Association, residents were 48% more likely to experience burnout than physicians, and 95% more likely to experience depression. They are also at much higher risk of suicide ideation. This is no surprise to Dr. Stephanie Klein. In 2016, while she was still a resident, she founded one of Canada's first resident wellness programs, at North York General Hospital, and she explains it's a program that was prompted by a personal experience in her own life. Yeah, my story begins that my twin brother and I, were, we were both accepted to medical school. Uh, he was accepted at Queen's and I, I was accepted at University of Toronto. Personally, I, I found parts of my medical training to be quite challenging. We were exposed to so many new experiences and uh, there was a lot to learn. And I think most medical students today are very competitive and are used to succeeding and all of a sudden you have to change so much uh, and learn so much in a short period of time. So I, I had some, own, some of my own anxiety that I was experiencing, especially during the clerkship years and, and I was glad that I, I reached out at the time because uh, I didn't know what I was about to face and I'd say the most defining moment of my life came on July 3rd, 2015 and that was when I received the news that my twin brother, who he had just finished his medical training at Queen's and was supposed to start his family medicine residency, that he had tragically taken his own life. Uh, and it's, it's really just shocking when you experience something like that. And the best way I can describe it is that you're, it's like you're underwater and you're just trying to come up and, and gasp for air. Uh, and, and just came to the realization that the person who I was a few seconds ago is very different from the person um, who I am now, and that life will never go back to how it was before. And, and we didn't really have any warning signs. Um, and, you know, my brother looked like he had everything on the outside, but uh, unfortunately there was a struggle on the inside, and, and there's a lot of medical professionals, medical students, physicians who are struggling in the same way. You know, suicide also brings with it a lot of complexity. There's so many questions that will always be unanswered. But the way I've tried to cope with it is just knowing that every illness has varying degrees of severity and suicide is, is a fatal consequence of depression, but it's not in any way a choice. And the people who suffer from this it's not within their control and depression is an illness that causes millions of deaths each year and it disproportionately affects our profession in medicine and that's really what led me on this journey to find out what we can do to address this problem so over the last five years I've been trying to bring some meaning to my brother's life and, and personal healing by raising awareness and and starting programs that address mental health and suicide among Canadian medical students and physicians. Today, the resident wellness program Dr. Klein started is still running at North York General Hospital and has been replicated in a variety of forms across the country. She's now the faculty wellness lead 
for the Family Medicine Department at North York and a clinical teacher at the University of Toronto's Department of Family and Community Medicine. I began our conversation by asking her to connect her own very difficult experience to her journey as a wellness leader. It was part of my healing process that I think everyone handles grief differently. And my way of coping with it was learning and discovering everything that I could find out about why this happens. I had no idea that suicide was something that affected doctors to the extent that it does. And then I realized it's actually a phenomenon in our profession, which I couldn't understand because we, we have the greatest knowledge and access to healthcare, yet uh, we're the ones who utilize it the least. Uh, and so to cope with all the emotions and, the, and the, the difficulty I was having at the time, I just threw myself into researching and understanding. And that's what led me to find out uh, what strategies and programs we can implement to, to address the issue. So I was just starting my residency a um, few months after the loss of my brother. And so during that time, um, I was starting a family medicine residency at North York General Wellness was not yet a concept. This was back in 2016, or it was an early, in its early stages. So we didn't have a wellness lead or a wellness curriculum, and, and that was my goal. So I, I presented this uh, outline to my program director for a program called Gaining Resilience in Training, and we called it GRIT for short. And we based it off of, um, actually, Vanderbilt University had their own wellness curriculum at the time, and they had key elements of wellness, like you have intellectual wellness, emotional wellness, physical wellness. And our design was to develop initiatives within each of these areas so that we could promote work-life balance for residents in the program and allow them to access supports. Uh, and it also would destigmatize accessing those supports if it was part of the curriculum. So initially we had wellness retreats, various social events, um, yoga sessions, mentorship, um, and other activities. But what branched from that was the development uh, and implementation of balanced groups into the residency curriculum. Balanced groups are a type of peer support group, and it's named after a British psychoanalyst named Michael Ballant. And they're basically small groups of individuals who meet with a facilitator but the purpose of the meeting is to explore your own emotional experiences through providing patient care and some of the challenges that we encounter uh, in a supportive environment with your peers. There's so much stress uh, and difficulties that we face on a daily basis, but we don't always have the time to debrief these. And so the, the balance groups allowed for sharing vulnerabilities and for deeper connections to form. And so we had protected time and space for this during the academic half day for the residents. There were two, uh, a few groups of about six to eight residents that would meet several times over the year. And our sessions had specific themes like managing patient expectations or uncertainty in family medicine and how medicine can impact your personal life. And overall, the program was very well received uh, and it still runs today. So I'm, I'm pretty proud of that. Can I ask you specifically about the importance of making the program a mandatory part of the curriculum because we know curriculums are incredibly busy 
and uh, it's difficult to find space for so many areas to cover. Why was it so important to you that the wellness programming be a mandatory part of the curriculum? Well, you're right. There's always people who want to add things to the curriculum and uh, there's always more to learn in such a short period of time, especially in the family medicine uh, residency. So making the balance groups mandatory I, was critical to its success because first it meant that they didn't have to use their personal time to benefit from this initiative. It was during the academic half day, not on their evening or weekend. And we were able to get that time because we showed that it enhances some of the other skills that are important for developing physicians like communication and self-awareness and professionalism. So we were we were given that that time easily. Uh, it, it also meant that all of the residents had to participate and it wasn't just a self-selecting group. And that also destigmatized the sharing of vulnerability that I talked about. And and we know that being vulnerable is not something we're used to in medicine or talking about our weaknesses or mistakes that we've made. A lot of people are uncomfortable with that, but this entire program was designed around encouraging uh, open discussion and sharing. Um, so I think residents overall felt very supported in that environment. And lastly, it showed the residents that their program cares about them and cares about their wellness by dedicating time to it. And they formed closer connections with their peers. I know when I created the Balance Group, I was also in the Balance Group, and I still have a group chat going with with my co-members to this day. So, and I've had other programs reach out to me to incorporate it into their residency. So it's definitely gained a lot of traction. Can you tell me a little bit more about the importance of incorporating? the Balint groups into your programming, because as you said, this creates that safe space for people to talk openly, to make themselves vulnerable, uh, but in a place of support, almost like it was the secret sauce or that the active ingredient in your programming. Can you tell me more about why it was so important to create that space for the trainees? Yeah, it was important because we're so used to performing at a high level at all times. And, uh, and also, we're, we're used to being evaluated at all times, uh, whether it's exams or your, your what the, called iters for the residents. And you always feel like you need to be on. Um, but this time and space for the balance group there was no evaluation. There was no, there was no didactic part to it. And there were certainly some people who were not initially comfortable with this idea of open disclosure. And even if there are some residents who stayed quiet, uh, we actually did a research project on this after. We found out from them that even just listening and connecting to their own experiences, that they gained benefit that way. It was therapeutic for them to recognize that, oh, um, I'm not the only one who is experiencing this difficulty. Uh, you know, my, my colleague just shared a story that I know I've experienced before. And that, again, it, it just destigmatizes talking about our challenges. And it, it, it's not something that you have to sign up for. I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's hard to pick up the phone and speak to your doctor or go to a therapist. That a peer group is like a non-confrontational way to support one another and still get the therapeutic benefit. Mm -hmm. Now, I was curious to hear a little bit about your thoughts on the mental health of residents 
during training, you've mentioned before how it is an incredibly challenging and difficult time for most residents. Can you tell me a little bit more about your thoughts and what we know about that? Well, the research has shown that medical trainees, they start out with mental health outcomes that are similar to their age-matched peers. And then there's something that happens during their training that it's the demands that are placed on them that causes skyrocketing rates of anxiety, depression, and burnout. And uh, for residents, their rates of depression is is double than what it is for the general population. And I think most uh, residents would say they know a colleague who's died by suicide. And I think the problem only gets worse as you progress in your training. In terms of why this happens, uh, I'd say the number one factor is the fact that stigma is a barrier for not asking for help. And I think the CMA actually launched a survey a couple years ago where they identified that only 15% of respondents would actually ask for help for their mental health condition. For trainees in particular, they, they also, they don't have a lot of control over their schedules. And there's a lot of expectation that comes from the program, but also the unrealistic expectations that we place on ourselves. And so that leaves very little time to, to have a wellness routine or to see a therapist. And you always want to be present, even if you're suffering. And, and I think the stigma drives this fear that if you do ask for help or take time off, that you might have a red flag on, on your profile, or it might affect your standing in your program or the ability to get the job that you want with, with increasing competition. The problem with this is if, if we have a system where asking for help is, is not a normal part of the medical training, it creates this perception that if you are struggling with a mental health concern and need that help, that it would be viewed as a weakness. And, and then that would lead to further denial or, or minimization that there's even a problem in the first place. And a lot of shame, I think, uh, students might experience and, and further withdrawal. But at the same time, all the demands and pressure to succeed and build a career are still there. We know that the the 24-hour call shifts can cause a significant amount of fatigue and that sleep deprivation worsens mental health. So we have all of these factors going on and then something like a mistake can happen or maybe a patient dies or you get critical feedback from a supervisor or maybe a, a personal life stressor occurs and we have a cohort of individuals who are used to being the best at everything and then all of a sudden these challenges come up with the unsustainable lifestyle that eventually something has to give. And so it's a slippery slope, I would say, between getting by to feeling emotionally drained and overworked to feeling anxious and depressed, turning to substance use and, and having suicidal thoughts. And that's what has come up in the research. And over the last few years, we've made some progress, but much of this was going on in a culture of silence, I would say. But I think if we're having conversations like the one that we're having today, uh, and I know there are a lot of physicians out there who are trying to role model behavior that promotes well-being and work-life balance that hopefully we can start to change the culture, but uh, it does take time. So you've elicited multiple factors that may have a huge impact on the health and well-being of trainees, and I would say also practicing physicians. I wonder if you had comments on whether these factors are more individual factors, are they are medical culture factors, or are they factors that stem from our training environments? And 
I say that because some of the factors that you talked about is the perfectionism that is part of our personalities and part of it is what draws us maybe to to medicine and having very high expectations of ourselves. On the other hand, that ultra demanding and competitive environment may be linked to factors from the environment or the culture. So I'm just wondering where you see these factors fit in, in those dimensions. And at the end of the day, whose responsibility is it to start changing things and decreasing stigma? You're right in that um, I think there's multiple factors that contribute to this. There's the workplace factors. I think medicine has changed drastically uh, over the last few decades. We have more complex patients. The systems don't really support that complexity. Um, and it seems like we have to do more with less. And, and we know that for every one hour of patient care, there's two hours of paperwork that goes along with it. And that's a huge driving factor for, for burnout is just, we didn't really go to medical school to, to do all that paperwork. And we want to also be there for our patients. And that's maybe more of our individual factors that we all went into this profession to, to help people. And sometimes, or I should say all the time, we might, we make sacrifices. And, and I think medicine kind of glorifies the concept of self-sacrifice and even at times neglect, uh, which makes having work-life balance even more challenging. So the system has pressures for productivity over our own well-being, and then our own expectations and the perfectionism fall in suit. So in, in terms of how we change this, changing the system does take time. And I know there's a lot of governing bodies that are working on strategies for this. But in the meantime, if we can do something from an individual point of view, like having a balanced group or having wellness routines or wellness messaging or ways that you can reach out. I know the Physician Health Program has put out a lot of messaging to support doctors that we can at least build our own individual resilience while the system takes time to change. But a key piece of this is that it's not all on the individual and blaming ourselves is contributes to the problem here. It's, it's a much bigger issue. Well, thank you for responding. I think uh, you've said it quite well that historically the individual physicians, I think, were made to feel accountable for difficulties in their, their wellness or challenges in their wellness. However, I think we're now at a point where we can recognize that this is very much a shared responsibility that involves everyone, the individuals and the system and our medical culture and the practice or learning environments that that we live in day to day. Uh, So I would agree with your comment. This is multifactorial, which means that the solutions are also multifactorial. Now, Stephanie, I would like to hear a little bit about the success that your program, GRIT, has had and what kind of feedback have you been hearing over the years since the program has started? Uh, So since I implemented it a few years back, uh, now we have every year new residents coming in and and becoming the wellness lead uh, and and running the the wellness curriculum. Uh, So again, I'm very, very proud to have had that lasting impact and same thing with the balance groups that we still have them running to this day. Uh, and I even was given the opportunity to present the project overseas in Scotland and in the hopes that they've 
implemented something uh, over there, I've been really pleased to see uh, the, the positive feedback. And I think people just want this safe place and, and to feel connected. We know that social connection reduces burnout and makes us feel better, uh, especially during these times in the pandemic and being away from our usual routines. And as we've already talked about, we know that there's going to be inherent difficulties in the work that we do. Um, but at least having this program, it gives you an opportunity to commiserate over it and, and feel supported. So the feedback has been really positive. Through the discussion today, Stephanie, you've talked about the importance of stigma as a huge barrier in seeking help and being proactive with our health and wellness. Can you talk about how impactful stigma is and what your thoughts are on what we can do to decrease it? Uh, I strongly believe that stigma kills and um, it, it prevents people from, from seeking help. Like there, there is no physical condition that we would not seek help for. Like if you break your arm, people come to sign your cast. Or if you're diagnosed with cancer, uh, they say that you're, you're fighting a battle with cancer. But if you have a mental health problem, no one is waving the flag for feeling depressed. Uh, and it's, it's a big secret. And some people might even view it as a character flaw, which, which is really the sad part of all of this because it's, um, it's not. It, it's a medical condition just like any other medical condition. But I think within our profession, uh, like for example, if there's questions on the licensing body certifications asking you if you've ever been diagnosed with a mental health condition or a substance use and how this could potentially affect your competency for practice, I mean, that's something that we know can reinforce that stigma. But we have a system that, as I've just described, is designed for burnout and contributes to the mental health decline of our doctors. So I know that the leaders are aware of this and are actively trying to address stigma within our governing bodies. And a lot of work is being done by Canadian Medical Association and the OMA in changing the messages and, and providing resources for doctors. I think the Wellness Hub with the CMA as a large amount of information, and, and hopefully we'll, we'll see the, the stigma break down over time. And if I may add to that, I think people like you having the courage to share their personal story and lived experience, one person at a time, I think this will really help us to speak more openly uh, and to prevent issues with mental health. Uh, so every person can play a part in reducing stigma. And I also wonder, looking back, if the success of this program has even more meaning because the way that your story really started. Yeah, it does. Like, I'm someone who needs to keep my mind occupied. And so just recovering from, from the loss of my brother, I, I needed something to bring joy back into my life, really. And feeling like I can make a difference and an impact. Like nothing is going to bring back the loved ones who we've lost, but at least in creating these programs, um, I've already seen a, a huge change uh, and I'm being asked to be part of various uh, committees and uh, starting other programs uh, that's stemmed from all of this. And it's, it's been a journey that has helped me 
personally and professionally. And your engagement continues in other ways. Recently, you've become a member of a new physician suicide prevention task force in Ontario. Would you like to tell us a little bit more about that? Uh, yeah, so I really do feel like I've come full circle from when I started this journey that I didn't know really what, what suicide was all about and, until it happened to our family. And and that that this is something that happens disproportionately to to doctors and I remember coming across an article at the time that said suicide is an occupational hazard for physicians. Uh, and now when I come across that, my question is, why should we accept this? And, and so now that we've struck up this task force, the Suicide Prevention Task Force that's supported by our college with the goal of raising awareness that this is a problem and addressing the factors that contribute to it, it it really does provide this validation to me, to my family, and I'm sure to many other family members and, and colleagues who have been affected by suicide loss within our profession. And so if we start to keep track and share these stories and learn more, uh, I do believe that change can happen. Dr. Stephanie Klein, I want to thank you for sharing your story with us and for everything you've done for trainees in your province and as we now have heard potentially across the world with the innovative programming that you've developed at your center you are truly an inspiration and you're certainly creating a new generation of leaders in the area of physician wellness thank you for joining us today in this wellness podcast it's been great speaking to you about such a crucial topic and take good care thank you for having me You've been listening to Sound Mind, a podcast about physician wellness and medical culture. It's produced by the Canadian Medical Association in collaboration with Podcraft Productions. And if you are looking for resources, tools, and research on the topics covered today, please visit the CMA Physician Wellness Hub at cma.ca. I'm Dr. Caroline Gérin-Lajoie. See you next time.